Welcome everyone to the podcast Unanswered Questions with Pastor Tim Cole. This is a podcast where we talk about tough theological and Christian living questions sent in by people just like you. Our hope is that listening will strengthen your confidence in God's Word, helping you to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. If you have any questions, please send them to questionsforpastortim at gmail.com. Happy Thanksgiving to everyone, and welcome to another episode of Unanswered Questions with Pastor Tim Cole. Today the question is, what does the Bible mean by the glory of God? To begin a discussion about the glory of God is to realize that this is a concept that deals with the character of God, the revelation of God, and the manifestation of who he is. It is both an Old and New Testament concept, though the word glory in English obviously is the same from Old to New Testament. The concepts are a little bit different from the Old Testament to the New. For example, very familiar to the Christmas story is the statement written by Luke in Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, in response to the message from the angels to the shepherds outside of Bethlehem, the text indicates that the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. We would expect the text to say something like, light shone around them and they were terrified. Well, before we comment on that, the same verb is then repeated in Saul of Tarsus's meeting with Christ on the Damascus Road in Acts 9, written by the same author from Luke 2, where that bright light shone around Saul of Tarsus. What was going on there? What would have led the writer in Luke 2 to say that the glory of the Lord shown around them. It seems to have something to do with luminosity and bright lights, brilliant lights. Well, that's the start of this discussion on the glory of God. What is the glory of God? No doubt you've said that word probably thousands of times in your discussions. You've sung about it in hymns and songs. You've read it in countless scriptures. For example, in Exodus 20, Moses said to God, show me your glory. Well, what was he asking for? What was he asking God to show him if he could show him his glory? It's one of those big words in religious circles, in Christian circles, but it's so big, it's maybe too hard for our arms to get around. We just don't have long enough arms to get around that concept. But I I have encouragement for you. Uh, Actually, the word glory is something that we all can understand, even a child. I believe that at the end of our time here, in some way, if you have children and they're listening or they're taking part, to some degree they will understand what it means by the glory of God. I'll read a Another familiar passage, this time from 
Isaiah the prophet in chapter 6. Isaiah 6 is the recording of what Isaiah saw in the year that his beloved king had died. Uzziah had died after 52 years, and as a result, the prophet was devastated. He needed a new vision. The king had died. Uzziah had died. And the text says, in the year that Uzziah died, um, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up with his train, filling the temple. And above it stood the seraphim. Seraphim is simply the plural form of the word seraph. These are not the same creatures as cherubim or cherubs. These are the angelic creatures that are said to have wings. These are not angels. Angels are strictly messengers. They do not have wings. They are sent from God's throne to give messages to the people. For example, in Acts chapter 1, verse 26, God sent the angel Gabriel, or the messenger, more correctly, is the way to translate that term. Because when we say angel, we think of fluffy white creatures with cherub faces and wings. And there is no justification for that description. Gabriel was simply a messenger sent by God to Mary, as well as, of course, to Zechariah in Luke chapter 1. So, uh, the text in Isaiah 6 says, Above the throne stood the seraphs, each one having six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one seraph cried to another seraph and said, Holy, holy, holy is Yahweh of armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house, the house of God, was filled with smoke. This vision that Isaiah saw of the Lord could not have been more timely for the young prophet. His beloved king had died, but he saw the king. It was the vision of God that he saw that encouraged him. And we find in the Bible that the greatest acts of worship in the Bible by human beings are those occasions that follow God revealing himself in all his glory. I think of Moses and God revealing himself at the burning bush. I think of John in Revelation 1. John falling down on his face as though he were dead as a result of seeing Jesus Christ unveiled or revealed as the book of Revelation is so called. Here in Isaiah 6 are two concepts that are placed together glory and holiness. Remember, the seraph says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. It is important to understand that the character of God is characterized by this word holy, which means to be distinct, to be unique, and to be set apart. In other words, if we were to put it in simple terms, the word holy, kadosh, means that God is the most unique, 
um, person in the universe, we would say that there is no one like him. There is no one quite like God. He is set apart. He is distinct. He is unique. There is no one, no person, no thing in the universe quite like God. He is indescribably holy. One manifestation of that holiness is his glory. So what I'm saying is that when we talk about the glory of God, whatever it is, that that's part of what makes him unique. That character trait of glory is what make God, or partly what makes God, holy. He is unique. He is distinct. There is no one else like him. And part of that is his glory. So uh, the display of God's holiness is usually found in the display of his glory. When we talk about God's glory, we are referring in the Hebrew Bible to something which is heavy. The word kavod is the word glory, something heavy. Uh, and the term itself, when we apply it to people or things, describes someone or something as important and awesome. And in simple terms, which I will develop a little bit later, but just right out here at the outset, instead of waiting for the end of this episode to talk about what glory is, since kavod basically means something heavy, awesome, and important, we would say, when we talk about the glory of God, is that God is the most important person, the most significant and awesome person in the universe. But I want to be a little bit more detailed in my description. That's a general description. that God is the most important and the most significant creature in the universe. But let's get a little bit more detailed, put the zoom lens on our camera, and talk a little bit more about kavod. Some examples in the Old Testament where the same word is used but not translated glory, for example, is the prophet Samuel. In 1 Samuel 4, 18, the Hebrew text says that Samuel was kavod. It means that he was large. He was a big man. He would be heavy. Some might even say he was fat. Remember, kadosh means, or excuse me, kavod means something heavy, something large. It's also used in Isaiah 32, verse 2, to describe a large rock, which is heavy. And then, uh, consistent with this concept of heaviness, or um, large, is the hair of Solomon, or excuse me, the hair of Absalom, the son of David, in Second Samuel 14, verse 26, Absalom's hair is called kavod. If you remember the story of Absalom, um, he was rather vain about his hair. He had lots of it. And this is why the writer of Second Samuel describes his hair as heavy. He had lots of hair, and it weighed quite a bit. Another illustration of this heaviness concept is that the word 
Kavod is also used to talk about the liver, the organ inside of us that's the heaviest organ. This is why it's called the uh, Kavod in the Bible, because it's the heaviest organ in our Bible. And other uh, ancient Near Eastern languages that are cousins to Hebrew also carry the same concept. For example, in Akkadian, which is a cognate language to Hebrew, kabatu, very similar to kavod, means to be massive and to be fat. In Ugaritic, another cognate language to Hebrew, the verb has the idea of heaviness, and it translates into something like giving honor to somebody, uh, giving respect to somebody. And then in an Arab, Arabic concept, which is a cognate language to Hebrew, heavy is the word also for liver. So there's an interchange of language and concept in the Middle East of this word kavod. As I've mentioned, it's used of hair, a liver, a rock, and a very large man. Well then, how are we to understand heaviness in relationship to our word glory. Well, actually, it's it's not too difficult if you'll follow along. Uh, when the word is used in a particular stem called the PL stem in the Hebrew language, kavod is used to honor somebody. For example, in Exodus 20, verse 12, parents are to be heavied. That is, they're to be treated with honor and respect, honor your father and mother, that it may go well with you, and that your days may, may be long on the, in the land. And so children are to respect their parents because they're important, because they are people of honor. So we treat them with their proper weight of importance. We treat them with their proper weight of honor. So we're, we're seeing... I think slowly, and hopefully you'll understand this in your mind, that when the Hebrew Bible speaks about glory, it starts with heavy, starts with something large and massive, and gradually comes to mean, in other contexts, somebody who is important, somebody who is worthy of honor, worthy of respect. And we would give that person, such as parents, or a king, or a prime minister, their due importance, their weight of importance. And this is how we are to understand the glory of God. So when Moses asked God, show me your glory, it's interesting that in the Septuagint, the Greek version of the Old Testament, it says, show me yourself. Show me the real you. He had seen God in the pillar of fire and in the cloud. But he wanted more. He wanted to see more. So what God did was to show him his importance. God showed him how significant and how important he was. So what does the glory of God mean? Well, as I began this episode with a summary, a general summary, I come back to the same place. 
the glory of God speaks of his importance. It says that he is the heaviest person in the universe. He is the one that we show the most respect to, the most honor, the greatest worship. And when we do so, we glorify him. When we praise God for his uh, greatness, we show him his glory. We render glory to God. He is the most important, the most all-glorious creature in the universe. The glory of God, then, is a reference to his his, uh, greatness, and his worthiness, and there is no one else in the universe who comes close to capturing the, t- the type of worship that we are to respect and pay to him. We treasure him. He's important to us. We treat him with respect. We treat him as something honorable. We treat him as something heavy. And as a result of seeing God in worship, seeing his glory, that's the kind of response that God would have us uh, emulate, such as in the case of Isaiah, who, when he saw the glory of God, and by the way, John, in John chapter 12, verse 41, actually tells us that the creature that God, or that uh, Isaiah saw in the vision, in the temple, was actually Jesus. He saw the glory of Jesus. And Isaiah's response was in response to the question, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And he said, here am I, send me. That's the proper response of worship to seeing somebody so glorious and so awesome that he had no other choice. So we have been discussing what it means when we talk about the glory of God. We're simply talking about his glory. We're talking about his importance. And normally in the Bible, when that importance comes out, it comes out in great manifestations of light, bright lights. That's what captures people's attention. That's what captures their imagination. It's the glory displayed in light. Not sound necessarily, but something so brilliant that it's overpowering, as bright as the sun. And we see this when Jesus was transformed on the mountain. He was transformed into his glorious manifestation. This is what John saw in Revelation chapter 1. He saw the glory, the importance of Jesus. This is what Saul of Tarsus saw on the road to Damascus and blinded him for three days. This is what the shepherds saw. They saw brilliant lights. And that light is a message. This is the great God that you've not seen. In fact, he dwells in unapproachable light. He is so great. So think about that when you hear the glory of God or the whole earth is full of his glory. The whole earth is full of matter that shows his importance. The whole earth is full of manifestations of his greatness and his power, the likes of which no one can replicate, the likes of which no one can imagine and no one can duplicate and no one can fully understand. Those are manifestations of his importance, of his significance, that is to say, of his glory. And we can't make God more glorious than he already is. But what we can do in response is to praise him.
and to make his glory known throughout the earth. Well, I hope that that has perhaps scratched the surface on, on, on this very difficult concept. Hopefully I've brought it down to a level where a child can say, yeah, God's glory is his greatness. God's glory is the fact that he is the most important person in the universe. Truly a child can understand that. And I hope that this has helped you to understand it as well. Thanks for listening. And may God show you his glory. Thank you for joining us this episode. And remember to send all your questions to questions for Pastor Tim at gmail.com. <laughs>